Well, if you have your Bibles, turn to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to be focused today on Colossians 3, verses 22 through chapter 4, verse 1. Uh, But we're going to read uh, some of the verses starting with verse 1 just to make sure that we have the context and we can see this um, in context. So, Colossians 3, really verses 1 through the rest of the chapter. Friends, this is the Word of Christ, so listen to it. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Verse 9, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its Creator. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Verse 22, Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. This is the word of Christ. Okay, we are ending our series today on why does the resurrection matter? Okay, this chapter in the book of Colossians has shown us over the last number of weeks a picture of the life that is produced when people begin a relationship with Jesus. Okay, that's what we've seen. We've seen all the different relationships that is affected by the resurrection of Jesus and our uh, experience of that. When you follow Jesus, His resurrection brings new life to you. And that new life affects every part of what you do and who you are. It affects everything. And so today, we're going to see how Jesus' resurrection matters to the area of your work. Okay, to work. And so we're going to see this in three points today. So if you want to write something down, here are the main points. I'll give them to you here up front. We're going to see first, resurrection under authority. Second, resurrection with authority. And then third, the resurrection of all work. Okay, resurrection under authority, resurrection with authority, and then the resurrection of all work. So first, resurrection under authority. This is verse 22. It says, Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. 
Now, we need to stop there um, because there are a number of folks, both Christians and non, who see a verse like this and it gives them an excuse to dismiss the Bible outright. I mean, how in the world could you possibly take any book seriously, let alone the Bible, when it tolerates and promotes slavery? Right? I mean, this is the objection that comes when you look at a verse like this. And so I want to talk about this for a second, because actually far from being an embarrassment to Christianity, Jesus and Christianity have done more to rid the world of slavery than any other people group in human history. Okay? I was a little torn this week between wanting to help you understand the Bible on the one hand, and then wanting to help you apply the Bible to your life on the other, right? That's sort of the tension that exists sort of week in and week out, um, because we want to make this practical, right? Most, I mean, all of you, you're not slaves and masters, right? We don't live right now in, our, in a culture where we have slavery like they did back then. But, but what Jesus has to say about slavery is so important, and it's going to help you understand how Jesus thinks so that you can figure out for yourself if Jesus is worth trusting. Okay? And so I want to spend some time looking at this. I want to look first at slavery in the Bible, and then after that we'll look at how this applies to our work situations. Okay? Now, first and foremost, we have to make a distinction between the kind of slavery that was going on when the Bible was written and the slavery that comes to your minds the moment that you hear the word. Okay? Because when you hear the word slavery, when I hear the word slavery, I think civil war in the South, racially based kidnapping slavery for life um, that was awful. That's not the kind of slavery that was going on during the time the Bible was written, okay? It was a very different, uh, it was very, very different. Um, and so let me just say that to start with. And, and so just some, some things to think about. First, just because the Bible speaks to slaves and masters, it doesn't mean that the Bible endorses slavery, okay? What it does mean is that the Bible is grounded in real-life situations, Okay? It's not just a bunch of religious ideals that are up in the clouds, but the Bible speaks into the exact problems and the challenges of our lives. Okay? Second, <clears throat> Christianity was actually good news for slaves. Okay? Christianity honored slaves and gave them dignity that no one else did. Okay, what do I mean by that? Well, let me give you um, just an excerpt from something that was written that was outside of Christianity at the time. Okay, there was a Stoic philosopher uh, named Arius Didymus who wrote a summary of Aristotle's ethics for Augustus Caesar in the time bef right before Jesus. Okay, so here you got a Stoic philosopher who was teaching Caesar, right? The guy in charge of the entire Roman Empire. He was teaching Caesar how to think about the family and the workplace, okay? And this is what he says. This is what he says. He said, A man has the rule of his household by nature. For a woman's judgment is inferior. Children's judgment doesn't exist yet. And in the case of slaves, they have no faculty of judgment at all. Okay? 
So this was something that was written, this was pervasive in the culture into which Jesus entered, into which the church, in, in which the church lived. The Bible is completely opposed to that. I mean, we can see that even in our chapter. Look at verse 11. Look at verse 11. As Paul is describing the resurrection realities of what it means to be in the family of God, in verse 11 he says, Here, meaning here in the church, among the followers of Jesus, there is not Greek and Jew. Those were racially separated people. And he said, we don't even look at people that way. There's no Greek or Jew. There's no circumcised and uncircumcised. There's no barbarian and Scythian. Those were, again, other types of people that lived back then. There is no slave or free. But Christ is all and in all. The Bible said something that no one else said at the time. It said that slaves and free people are, have equal footing, are on the exact same place before God. No one else said that. The Bible treated slaves with dignity. It treated them as human beings, as people who were made in God's image and then redeemed in Jesus. This was unheard of. It was unheard of. The Bible also, we saw, I mean, we'll see this as we get to there in chapter 4, verse 1, gives directions to masters on how to treat their slaves, and what it gave to masters was also unheard of. Nobody else thought this way about slaves. And if you want to know, um, probably the best expression to see how the gospel of Jesus affects the institution of slavery, you need to read the letter of Paul to Philemon. Okay? It's, um, it's, just an, or it's, it's a few books over. Um, it's a few books later. In that, you will see that the way that Paul handled slavery was to teach the truth about human dignity and equality. And, and what he did, what Jesus and then the apostles did, um, it, it was like they placed a time bomb. Okay? Their, their, their teaching on masters and slaves was like a time bomb that was placed at the foundations of the institution of slavery. And so eventually, when the truths of Jesus were embraced, slavery would crumble. And that's exactly what happened in history. It's exactly what happened. Let me read you a quote from a historian named Rodney Stark. He said this. He said, Although it's been fashionable to deny it, anti-slavery doctrines began to appear in Christian theology soon after the decline of Rome and were accompanied by the eventual disappearance of slavery in all but the fringes of Europe. When Europeans subsequently instituted slavery in the New World, okay, so now we're talking Civil War type slavery, when that happened, they did so over the strenuous opposition of the church. Okay, the church opposed the slavery that took place in the New World. And finally, the abolition of the New World slavery was initiated and achieved by Christian activists. Tim Keller has written a book called The Reason for God, where he deals with the biggest objections that people have to Jesus and to Christianity. And he brings up this issue of slavery, and this is what he said. He said, Christians began to work for abolition, not because of some general understanding of human rights, but because they saw it as violating the will of God. 
Christian abolitionists concluded that race-based, lifelong, chattel slavery established through kidnapping could not be squared with biblical teaching either in the Old Testament or the New. Christian activists such as William Wilberforce in Great Britain, John Willman in America, and many, many others devoted their entire lives in the name of Christ to ending slavery. African slavery was race-based, and the, tra- the slave trade was begun and, and resourced through kidnapping. The Bible unconditionally condemns kidnapping and trafficking in slaves. 1 Timothy 1, 9-11. Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 7. Therefore, while the early Christians did not go on a campaign to abolish first century slavery completely, later Christians did so uh, when faced with new world slavery. Slavery was abolished because it was wrong, and Christians were the leaders in those who said so. This is just history. Um, Now, this doesn't mean that every single Christian person um, was, was, was sinless in this area. Not every Christian person followed Jesus and his teachings in this. So I'm not trying to whitewash the entire church and its history. But the reality is, the reason we don't have slaves anymore can be attributed to Jesus and his church more than any other people group in human history. And we see this continuing to go on, right? Generate Hope. Right? Generate Hope is a ministry to set slaves free because there are still slaves in our day and age. And it's folks who are so filled with the freedom and the grace of Jesus that want other people to experience that same freedom. I think Jesus maybe honored slaves most by becoming one himself. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 6-11, through it says that Jesus, though he was God, didn't exploit his equality with God. But instead, he humbled himself and became a slave. And he was obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. And therefore, God has highly exalted him. God raised him from the dead and seated him above every other name and power in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And so we see that the resurrection of Jesus... I'm going to talk about, does it matter to your work? We're going to get there. But you think about the way the resurrection of Jesus has fundamentally changed the way work gets done in our country and across the world. This is the power of the resurrection. When people are gripped with the reality and remind themselves and learn and study and imbibe the resurrection of Jesus, as you experience that in your life, man, little things happen and big things happen. This is the good news of the resurrection. And so let's talk now. So that's, that's just on, on slavery. Let's talk about how to apply this to our context today. Right? I think employees today, people who work today, can apply the principles from these verses into your situation. Look again at verse 22. Um, instead of slaves, think about workers or employees. Um, obey your boss in everything. Okay, that's, that's the call. Obey your boss. Obey your boss. Now, in everything, 
So we've seen over the last few weeks, right, that when the Bible says in everything, it doesn't mean in everything. I mean, it does and it doesn't, right? There are qualifications to this, right? We need to not, we just need to be careful here. Here are the qualifications, similar as before. If your boss asks you to sin, you don't obey, right? To do something that's against God's will, you do not have to obey. Second, if your boss asks you to do something that would put your boss in sin or keep your boss in sin, again, don't obey. So if your boss comes to you and tells you, uh, let's say you're in finance, and tells you to cook the books to change the way that your financial outlook looks, you don't have to obey that. In fact, you shouldn't. Okay? Now, this can get really dicey. Okay, because we live in a world that's fallen. We work for companies in a culture that um, is that's broken, right? There's all kinds of things that go on. I spent 10 years in the workplace before I went um, into the ministry, and um, I was an independent contractor for a while. I worked in a company as a salesperson for a while, and so I had authority above me telling me to do things. I had, I mean, I've got a lot of experience. I understand how hard this can be. I worked for a company that. Um, where I had prospective customers telling me that what my company was doing was illegal. And I would talk to my company, and they would say, no, it's not. And I'd go back to these prospective, and they'd say, no, 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 they're just not telling you it's illegal. I mean, so I understand, it's hard, right? There are situations where you get in. So it takes wisdom to know how to apply this, okay? Now, one of the good news is about if you follow Jesus, you can ask God for wisdom, and he'll give it to you. He, he is, it's like he is standing ready to dump wisdom out on you if you ask for it. You can say, God, this is, a, this is a situation. I'm not sure what to do. What should I do? There are times when God will put thoughts in your mind that are the right things to do. He might lead you to other people, right? Wisdom is typically uh, maximized when you are talking to other people about the situations that you're in. Okay, And so when you talk about these qualifications, when it's not a good idea to obey your boss, you want to make sure you're asking other people. right? Talk to other folks. Get advice um, so that you're not on your own. But outside of those qualifications, you want to obey your boss. You want to see yourself as part of your job is to make your boss look good. You, know, you want your boss to succeed. Right? You want to be perceived as a real help. And so... Um, it goes on in this verse. Obeying everything, those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart. And so this obedience to your boss, this, this, this good work that you do in your job, needs to come from your heart. Right? Not just the, spirit, not just the letter of your, of your job, but the spirit of your job. Not just what your boss says, but what your boss means. Right? You want to obey from the heart. Do your work well. You want to do it sincerely and not just when they're looking, right? So good there because it catches catches me, right? Not by way of eye service. I found a great definition of eye service. Listen to this. This is service performed only to make an impression in the owner's presence. Service performed only to make an impression in your boss's presence. Do you know what else that's called? Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. Um, 
And if you're a hypocrite in your work, what is anybody going to think about your faith? What's anybody going to think about Jesus? You want to be wholly given to your work, right? Not just the minimum to get by. Even if you are treated as less than human, right? Because that happens, right? Even if you're treated by less than human, don't act less than human. And the last phrase there, um, fearing the Lord. Fearing the Lord. That's an interesting phrase. It needs to be unpacked. To fear the Lord is to have an awe, a reverence, and a respect because of who God is and what he has done. The idea here is that God is great. He is grand. He has created everything. He holds the stars in the palm of his hand. Right? He holds us also in his hand. So God is the creator and the redeemer. And that deserves, boy, respect seems like such a small word. Right? Deserves a healthy measure of, man, if it wasn't for his love, we all would be in big trouble. Right? And so you do your work, not with eyes, but with sincerity of heart, because your work shows your faith in him. When you work this way, man, you're going to stand out. You're going to stand out. It's going to show that you, you believe something more. Like there's something more going on. Like it's almost as though in the midst of this world that you live in, in the workplace, it's almost as though you've got this other world going on that has taken, you know, that's taken you up into it. It's almost like you live in this other world. It's almost like you're motivated by something else or by someone else. Right? That's kind of the whole point, right? Seek things above where Christ is. Right? Set your mind on the things above, not on things on earth. And so this is the call uh, for those under authority. This is the impact that resurrection has on those who are under authority. Okay? Because when Jesus did this, God raised him from the dead. God will do the same thing in your life. He will fill your life with blessing, with peace, with a, with a security that you know, even in the midst of the struggles and the challenges at work, Jesus is pleased. He sees everything that you do. And, and when it's hardest, that's when you have the best opportunity to meet Jesus. Because when your work situation, when the authority that you're under is most difficult, that's when, when you look up, when you seek Him, that's when He will say, man, I know it's hard and I'm with you. I really get, I, I do, I know what it's like to live under unbelievably evil authority. And I'm not saying that to you to make you feel guilty. I'm just saying it to you so that you'll know that I really do understand. And also don't forget that I did what I did because I love you. And I'm with you. The harder it gets, the better opportunity we have to meet Jesus in the difficulty. So 
So that's what, how the resurrection impacts being under authority. Let's look at our second point, resurrection with authority. And this, uh, this is all the way at the end, chapter 4, verse 1. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. And so today, you know, these are bosses, right? Company owners, um, managers, really everyone who has authority over someone else in the workplace. Okay, so if you have authority over someone else, this applies to you. What does it say? It says, treat your people justly and fairly. And I just want to repeat, this was unheard of. This was unheard of, justly and fairly. Why? They're just property. What's the big deal? And yet Jesus cares. Most of the culture didn't. But Christians treated slaves as real people. Christianity, it's personalizing. Because all people are made in the image of God. All people need to be treated with love and care and consideration. And so justly and fairly means doing what's right and caring for those who need help. Right? That kind of makes sense. It means getting the job done and treating people with respect and dignity. Okay? See those things? How they come together? It means, people treating, it means treating people as human beings who are made in God's image. And so I think it means calling people to work hard, right? That's a part of it. It doesn't mean that you just... You, Christian boss isn't a doormat. No, no, no. A Christian boss has work to do, right? It wants to work and get things done. But it means calling people to work hard and helping them grow, right? Helping them close the performance gaps. So that's the call. Now, what's the reason? It's the end of verse 1. It's knowing that you also have a master in heaven. And so you might have authority in the workplace, but you're also under authority. We saw that last week, right? Everybody is under authority. You have a master who's in heaven. And Matthew 7, 2, um, it says there that the way that you measure, it will be measured back to you. Okay, so the standard that you hold other people to, basically the way that you treat other people, that's how God will treat you. So there's a warning here, obviously. Right? I think it's also an invitation. It's also an offer that there is another way to be a boss. There's another way to use authority in the workplace. And it's an invitation to follow Jesus, right? Because Jesus had the ultimate authority. And he used all of his authority, every single bit of his authority, to what? To what? To serve. Jesus used all of his authority to serve. To serve. And guess what? He was raised from the dead. So, if you want to think about the most effective kind of authority, do you want the kind of authority that will end in death? 
Or do you want to use your authority in the way that will lead to living forever? Right? The resurrection of Jesus means it was God's sort of stamp of validation. Right? It was the reward for his performance review. Right? You want to think about it in work terms, right? The end of Jesus' work was to die. He was in the grave. He was dead. And as God performed his, as God did his performance review, at the conclusion he said, you need to be raised up. It is wrong for death to hold you because of the way that you live. Jesus used his authority to serve and God raised him from the dead. If you follow Jesus in the way that he used authority by using your authority to serve the people under you, you will experience resurrection life. Both in the future, but also now. Because you will be connected to Jesus. You will experience more of Jesus in your life. You will understand more of what it was like for him to serve others. And as you experience that, you get closer to him. Right? You know what it's like um, in the workplace when you maybe meet someone else who does exactly what you do. Right? You kind of share. You swap secrets. You swap, you know, hey, best practices, worst practices, things to avoid, things to do. Right? And you come away going, wow, like my experience with this person, like I understand this person better now, and I could do my job better. If you use your authority the way Jesus does, that is part of communion with Jesus. You might not think about it that way. But when you follow Jesus, you experience more of him. Right? When you talk to Jesus about how he used his authority, and you ask him to help you, and you think, I mean, well, I'm getting ahead of myself here about how do you put this into practice, but, but that's how it works. You spend time with Jesus, and the resurrection changes how you use your authority at work. And I think what this does is this creates an amazingly beautiful picture of the workplace. Right? It's the same thing we saw with husbands and wives and parents and children. It's the same thing here. Right? You've got employees who are working hard, who are trustworthy, who are making their boss successful, who are delightful to their boss. And then you have bosses serving their employees, helping them to succeed by helping them do their jobs well. Right? I mean, it's, it's this really amazing thing. Like, you revolve around the desires of the other, right? Bosses are revolving around the needs of their employees, and employees are revolving around the needs of their boss and their company. Man, that's awesome. We have a faith and work ministry that's designed to help promote this vision of the workplace, that's designed to help... Um, Equip you so that you can make this vision a reality in your life, in your work. Right? That's why they exist. We got a workplace cafe coming up on June 7th, right? You want to know how to do this? How do you, how do you deal with the trust issues that abound? Right? How do you deal with it? Right? When maybe you're, you're saying, okay, I'm in. I want to follow Jesus for my part. But the other part doesn't want to do this, right? How do you deal with that? That's a trust issue, right? How do you handle it when you want to do what's right, but the people around you don't? How do you deal with what happens when you feel like you're stuck between, do I really want to alienate myself at this point in my job by standing against this, or should I go along with this for the time being, or not? 
right? Sometimes it's, it's not quite black and white. Man, workplace cafe, come, let's talk about that stuff, right? There are principles, there are experiences that you have that other people need to hear, right? It's going to be awesome. And so in the reality that this is difficult, right? This sounds amazing. It sounds good. We're all signed up, but here we are sitting in church, right? Right? What are you going to do tomorrow morning? You're going to go back in and you're going to kind of slide back into that rut, you know? How do you bring this about? Right? What do you do with your boss if he takes advantage of you or she takes advantage of you? What do you do if your employees aren't trustworthy? Like, how do you handle these things? Well, this brings us to our third point, and that's the resurrection of all work. Okay, the resurrection of all work. I think in the breakdown of these verses, I think verse 22 applies directly to slaves and verse 1 applies to masters. My sense is that verses 23 to 25 are actually in the middle and applies to both. Okay? It's just as I read this and studied it, I felt like this was actually designed to be kind of the centerpiece that would then feed both, uh, both up and down in terms of authority. And so these verses, verses 23 to 25, this is talking about all work. Talking about all people in all positions. Okay? Both slaves and masters, both employees and employers, this applies to you. If you're in the workplace or if you're home, right? If you don't have a job but you are doing some kind of work, right, to try to stay productive, it applies to everybody. Everybody. And what does it say? Verse 23. Whatever you do, okay, whatever you do, work heartily. Work heartily. What does heartily mean? From the heart. Yeah, there we go. Just chop off the first five letters there. Right? Work from the heart. It's interesting because... This is a place where the Greek word is really interesting. Um, in the Greek, it says, work out of your soul. I never thought about that before. Work out of your soul. Let your work come from the soul, from the inside of who you are. Maybe a good exercise is to stop and ask yourself, Right? Just write down some things. What does that mean? What does that mean for me? How can I work from out of my soul? The Bible teaches us that God made us for work. He created us so that we would work. And so you want to do it with all of your might, with all of your heart. Okay? You might not be passionate about your job, but you can be passionate about your soul and how your soul is reflected in the work that you do. Now, why? Why do you work heartily? Well, because ultimately, you work for Jesus. Okay? Work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. In the end of verse 24, you are serving the Lord Christ. There are some things that the Bible says that immediately you can you get it, you understand it, you know how to put it into practice. This one takes some faith. 
right? This one takes some effort. You want to have it set in your mind that the work that you do next to your boss, behind your boss, there is another boss. And that Jesus is your boss. That is what this what these verses are inviting us to embrace. I would say that if you choose to embrace that, you will experience more of the resurrection of Jesus in your life. That He is your boss. Because when you think about it that way, that He is your boss, then you can say, well, if Jesus wants this done, that makes a difference. Right? Jesus wants this job done. That adds dignity, right, to the job. So all of a sudden there's a purpose. And so you want to ask yourself, why does Jesus want this done? In what way does this promote the purpose of Jesus in the world? You know, we've done sermon series in the past on how our work is a reflection of who God is. Right? We said all work, all companies that are legitimate um, reflect God's image as the creator, as the maintainer, and as the restorer. Right? We've talked about that in the past. So if you want to, you can get the sermons online. Our Faith and Work Ministry offers those sermons. Um, but your work has dignity if Jesus wants to get it done. You can ask that question of him. Jesus, why do you want this done? This week, that would be a good thing for you to do. How is Jesus my boss? Why does Jesus want this work done? How can I find dignity and purpose in this? And if you struggle, man, this is why we have community groups. Right? Go to a community group and say, I can't figure out why on earth anybody, let alone God, would want my job done. Please help me. Help me think about this. Help each other with this. We need each other in order to figure this, you know, these things out. And so you work out of your soul because you're working for the Lord Jesus. And if you do it, this verse says that you'll receive a reward. Verse 24, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. And again, slaves could not inherit back then. They had no inheritance. And yet the Bible says not only are slaves on equal footing, but the slave, slaves will receive the inheritance from the Lord. I just got to keep coming back to that. The Master in heaven will give you an inheritance. So Christ will reward you even if your earthly boss will, will not. Okay, every time you do something right when no one's looking, every time you work heartily, every time you put your, your heart into your work, Jesus sees that and he will reward you. Now the flip side is also true. Verse 25, For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. And so that's for, you know, for both employees and employers. It's a warning. Right? If you don't work this way, if you, if, you, if you don't honor the Lord with your work, then there is recompense. There's payback. 
And Jesus will hold you accountable because he is your boss. And part of being a good boss is holding people responsible, both for good and when their performance is lacking. The cool thing about this is that having Jesus as your boss, this turns work into worship. Worship. Now everything that you do in the workplace is an act of worship to God. It's a way to respond to Jesus. Because God is the one who says, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. God's general call for us, he says, bring me glory. Live in a way that would reflect good on me. You have my name on you. Right? You have the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit on you. So whatever you do, you got this label on you if you're a Christian. Work in a way that gives me honor. And man, when you do that, you can offer it up. Lord, as I'm driving home today, I want to offer you this day of work. Or maybe, Lord, it's 9.30 and I'm already struggling here. Help me. Because I want to offer my day to you. I want to lift up this meeting, this relationship. I want to lift up this problem, this issue. Lord, help me. I want to live in a way that worships you. And the cool thing is that God cares about this. He wants to be with you Monday through Friday and Saturday too. Um, now, how do we get here, right? If, if this is describing something and you feel like you're not even on the playing field anymore, if this is what it means to have God at work, you're, you're not even, I mean, you're nowhere close to this. What do you do? If you're not a Christian, and this sounds attractive, like you'd like to have Jesus caring about your job, right? Or if you're a Christian and you feel like, man, as far as I'm concerned, Sunday's my day for, for God, and Monday through Friday, boy, just forget about it. Right? If you're in that place, or if you want your experience of the resurrection of Jesus to matter more to your work, what do you do? That's what verses 1 through 15 are all about. Okay? You seek what is above, verse 1. You seek Jesus. What this means is that you spend time with Jesus. The more time you spend with Him, the more you just think about Jesus and what He's like, and how He cares about you, the more that who He is will radiate into your being. So you want to spend time with Him. You want to pray as you drive into work, or as you walk into work. You want to start the day as you get, at some point, just say, Lord, I want to give you this day, help me. That's a good place to start. You know, you can watch and see how Jesus interacted with other people, and learn from Him, right? The more time you spend learning about Jesus, the more his life will find its way into you and you will live it out. Um, verses 9 and 10 are really a call to remember. It's like, remember, you have put off the old self. You have put on the new self. Right? And I love the end of verse 10. It says this new self is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. This means that in order to put this into practice, you've got to learn. Okay, the more you learn about Jesus, the more you will experience him. Okay? So you need the fullness of the Spirit. You need his word. You need to spend time with Jesus. I mean, it's just, it comes down to a relationship. 
right? You want to make time for Jesus in your life. The more you do that, the more of his resurrection you will experience. And that's what's great is that he's already given you as a gift this, this amazing resurrection life. The more you spend time with it, the more you will walk in it. So I just, yeah, I would encourage you, spend time with Jesus, join a community group, right? Because that's how you learn how to do this together with other people. Come to the Workplace Cafe, um, and then I'd say even come back next week, because next week we're actually going to start a new series on what it means to follow Jesus and how to have an ongoing relationship with him. So let's go to the Lord now and ask him. Let's spend some time with him uh, in light of these ideas. Let's pray. Jesus, we want to see this glorious picture of the workplace. We want to see San Diego filled with bosses and managers, uh, with executives, people who have authority. We want to see them with this incredible desire to serve the city with the product or service of their company and to serve their employees. We want to see that happen. And Lord, we want to see the workforce of San Diego gripped with the reality that they are more than just their job. We want to see them filled with your resurrection life in a way that would motivate them to work heartily, to work from the soul. And Lord, we need your resurrection power to make that happen. Thank you that we can spend time with you around your word here on Sunday in church. I pray, Lord, that you would draw everyone into a community group so that people can spend time with you in those groups and with each other, learning how we can put this into practice. Lord, for those who have experience in the workplace here, help them to see um, and have a desire to share with others who don't have as much experience. Lord, we want to honor you. Thank you for putting your name on us. Um, Help us to live in a way that makes your name great and glorious here in San Diego. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.